The Dime is sponsored by ETH Revolution. The cannabis industry has unique challenges, which means you need a multifaceted partner to help you navigate the landscape. ETH Revolution has a team of experienced science and business experts to provide a unique analytical approach, providing services from capital to cannabinoid and everything in between. This is The Dime. Dive into the cannabis and hemp industry through trends, insights, predictions, and tangents. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another episode of The Dime. As always, got my right-hand man, Kellen Finney, here with me. And this week, we've got a very special guest, Rosie Matteo, founder and CEO of The Powerhouse, Matteo Communications, and what of many have dubbed the Cannabis PR Queen. Rosie, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys today. I'm excited to dive in. Kellen, how are you doing? Doing good, doing good. Just enjoying the weather out here in Colorado. How are you, Brian? Doing good, doing good. Today was a crazy day for me, but we're excited to kind of dive in. So Rosie, before we get started, I think it'd be great for our listeners to learn a little bit about your background. Yeah, so um, my background is traditional uh, public relations. I went to Boston University, studied communications there, graduated, went to work in big agencies in New York City, like Howard Rubenstein and Allison Broad, and then went out on my own to start my own uh, lifestyle PR firm in 2004. Um, And then in 2014, founded the cannabis practice of our agency, which uh, we're so grateful is now uh, the largest cannabis marketing services firm in the industry. That's incredible. And I saw recently you were one of the top companies recognized by Inc., which is an incredible accomplishment given all the obstacles in cannabis. So kind of taking us back to the beginning, is there a single moment where you realized you wanted to be in the cannabis space? You know, like this is just, it sort of like fell into my lap. Um, so I'd worked in big agencies in New York and then lived in Chicago for a bit and had some kids in between. And my husband uh, took a job out in Seattle in 2013. We moved out there. And I, at that point, I had three kids and I was driving them to school in the morning with a 20 minute drive um, over the bridge and through like some towns. And on the way to school, I'd see it 7.38 in the morning, lines outside of cannabis dispensaries. And then we started going to like, you know, social events, starting to meet people in Seattle and there'd be, you know, moms, people pulling out vape pens. So it just started, it was like fortuitous that we moved to Seattle, which had just gone adult use. And just randomly, uh, my background was in food and technology PR. And I was approached to the launch of a crowdfunding campaign for a cookbook. And it was a cannabis cookbook. And I always been pretty good at what I had done. But when the New York Times, the fast company in Mashville were all like, begging for an exclusive on a story, a little light bulb went off. And I said, wow, there's something here. And so like, I didn't set out to, you know, get into the cannabis space. It sort of fell into my lap, but, you know, fast forward six years later, almost seven years later, it's my whole life. And, and like, I have a fire in my belly and in my soul that I never had, you know, in my whole life, you know, I very, I have a wonderful life, but this is really just, you know, giving me just so much, uh, like so much fulfillment in my life. So, you know, it, it just sort of, grew into this, but like, I know I didn't exactly set out to, wow, I saw cannabis as an opportunity. Let's do this. But as I learned, I realized, or I've been growing up with it. So it's been a wild ride. And I'm sure kind of dating back to when you first got started, the the looks and the, the conversations that people had with you early on versus where we are now, I'm sure they were kind of like, maybe like a little more of like the stigma with cannabis. Can you kind of share like what those conversations were like with loved ones, with family, with friends? Yeah. So I have a few stories I tell. Like one of them is, so we, we moved out to Seattle, Washington for my husband's job. He worked in finance, which is a pretty buttoned up 
you know, industry. So when I first started taking on these cannabis clients, like I thought it was cool. And, you know, I didn't have like much to lose, like posting about it. I was just having such a good time. I would post on Facebook being like, Hey, look at my new cannabis client. And my husband say to me like, Rosie, you know, I've got sort of this, you know, conservative job, you know, you've got four kids, maybe you don't want to be posting so much about cannabis. Um, and, but then fast forward to 2017, we were moving back to New York city to be closer to family. And he was interviewing for jobs in New York. And he walked into job interviews saying, my wife is the smartest woman alive. She's got a cannabis company. So it's amazing. Um, having watched, um, this whole thing play out and the destigmatization, there's still some there, but you know, I think a lot of my parents also were like, you know, what are you doing? You know, I got a lot of the jokes, the stoner jokes. Um, and also like people just had a misconception about what I was doing. I remember like going, coming home to New York or going to, you know, being on the carpool line and people asking me like if I had weed for them, I'm like, well, I don't actually sell cannabis. I, I do marketing for it. So there were, there, there was always lots of stories. And there's one more I would tell this about like how things have changed or just like a funny thing about it. I have these kids and I asked my daughter, you know, do you know what cannabis is? And she goes, yeah, that thing you paint on. She thought it was canvas. Now they know what it is. Um, but it was just sort of like, it's just funny how this has evolved. Yeah, the evolution of it and from where you were and where we are now, I mean, it's probably an incredible watch. And especially from like a coast to coast standpoint, Kellen and I always talk about how like the West Coast is so much farther ahead than where the East Coast is and how, you know, education, that stigma is still kind of around here in the East Coast as people are kind of learning slowly about the benefits and the opportunities in the space. So let's kind of dive into the company that you founded. Can you kind of share some of the value that you bring to the space? Yeah. So, and I'll talk about a little bit of the shit as well. Um, so, you know, when I came to the cannabis space, like I said, I just had mainstream PR background. So we took that approach from the beginning. So like my background had been in food. So when the fast com- when the stoner's cookbook project came into my lap, I didn't go to like the cannabis publications. There were only a few, really a few then. Um, and there were so few people covering cannabis anyway. So I went to my food reporters. I, that was like, those are my people. Those are my contacts. So um, we are bringing this mainstream approach to cannabis. Obviously, you know, cannabis publications are our base and, you know, majority of the consumers uh, are still reading those, but we know where the puck is going. So we always just felt that from early on that the cannabis products were looking like, you know, mainstream CPG. So we went after the Oprah's, the Vogue's of the world. So um, bringing that mainstream background, but understanding what's happening in cannabis has been one of the secrets to our success. And also just, uh, just taking some of these uh, disciplines from running, from running my own PR firm for so many years, like using data and just, like I said, taking that mainstream approach has helped elevate our clients. And that's what I think sets us apart from some of the more endemic cannabis agencies. And also, but on the flip side, you know, we do see some of the um, more lifestyle PR firms coming into the space now, you know, they're seeing the opportunity that we've been working on for all these years. And um, they don't understand the nuances. Like since we've been doing this for so, so long, we understand like what you can, I cannot say making claims, like what, what's new, right? When some people like we'll partner with the mainstream agency, like some of our clients have many agencies and they'll say, they'll try to put out a pitch. Did you know cannabis is a wellness product? Like we've been talking about that for seven years. So if you're going to a reporter who's been hearing from us for so many years, that's not news. So we understand the nuances and what's new and what's newsworthy, which sets us apart from other agencies. And also one of those shifts that's been since the beginning, like when a lot of these reporters took a bet on us when we were early on, like when I went to Bloomberg, you know, they were covering it more from, you know, the finance side of things, which they still are, but we started bringing some of the lifestyle angles um, and some of the 
first stories ever written in mainstream publications like Vogue and Oprah came through Matteo because, you know, we spent the time educating them. And now, you know, you, there are seven editors at Vogue who would cover cannabis. So that's been cool to watch, like more mainstream media start writing about it more. But, but there's still challenges. Like when I used to do food PR and I worked for a popcorn company, I would, they, we wanted to get press for the new popcorn. So what we do, we make a pretty package, we'd stick it in FedEx and we'd email, we'd mail it to editors. We can't do that. We can't ship cannabis products. So like there's still a lot of challenges that we face when we're trying to establish cannabis as CPG and you can't get Shape Magazine to try the edible. I think that's really incredible too. And like, Kellen, I want to go to you on that because we always talk about with cannabis has all these additional layers and challenges. And for these other individuals who are trying to enter the space and they're looking and get in, they're just blown away by all the challenges. And like what Rosie's saying is just another layer to the challenges. So Kellen, like from that standpoint, I mean, Cannabis is just layered with different challenges. So what what opportunities do operators have in order to kind of like break down the barriers and get the word out on the opportunities of cannabis? Honestly, from my experience, I think it's like old school marketing techniques, like boots on the ground, vendor days, going to dispensaries with people from your team, right? And so like when I was working in the industry as a, a lab manager, I would go to vendor days to explain the product to the bud tenders, to the consumers, Right. And like that is the only way that you can truly get the product in their hands legally. Right. And then explain what they're looking for, why you did certain things from a a formulation standpoint, as well with as well as well with growers. Right. Like growers going to vendor days. Absolutely. One of the most valuable marketing things I've seen, because then bud tenders can repeat exactly what the grower was thinking, why they did certain things, what that strain is really trying to achieve, right? So those are the biggest or the really the only outlets as far as like being able to communicate with someone what the product is supposed to or the true nature of what you're trying to achieve with that product from an operator to the consumer in person. Because um, like Rosie was saying, you can't mail this stuff out and it's challenging to get the product in a lot of people's hands. So like, you just have to do it super old school. Like there was no internet, like 50 years ago, kind of marketing status. You know what I mean? It's true. And also like in that in person, like some of the things that we did to set us up for success and garner some of these mainstream media pieces was we would actually have to fly out editors to California. This was like 2015. We like took Oprah out to Palm Springs to visit Candescent, which is one of our early clients with them today. It's a very expensive way to do it because, you know, it's flight hotel, but how else are they going to experience and understand what's happening? So same thing, like trying to do these in-person events and now we've got COVID, so it's a little challenging, but this is a brand new industry. And like some people don't even know what, you know, cannabis in 2021 looks like. So we really have to have that like hand-to-hand combat. And also some of the challenges we haven't spoken about yet And why we've grown so rapidly is some of the limitations we have in terms of social media. Uh, People who are tuned in, some of them may know that, you know, if I'm launching, I use the popcorn example, a new popcorn flavor, I'll buy some um, ads on Instagram and I'll target to the right people. But cannabis companies are not allowed to spend money in the social networks. Um, It's illegal. I mean, they won't let us. So um, there's a lot of challenges that like, you know, we're marketing with one hand tied behind our back. So over the past few years, we started as media relations. We added social media and influencer to our um, service offering because we've figured out ways um, to compliantly do social media without getting accounts shut down. So knock on wood. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot of limitations and, but, you know, there's also a lot of challenges to be like, if you're a creative thinker and, you know, you've got clients who are willing to, you know, push the envelope in terms of just creative ideas and, um, stunts because like we, like I said, we have to be compliant in the way we market. There's a lot of opportunity. 
So as one of the leaders of one of the fastest growing companies in one of the fastest growing industries, Rosie, like what is a normal day like for you? I know you must have your hands across the board, but I, I'm always curious to know, you know, what is a normal day like for you look like? I always say like the busier you are, the more you get done. Um, so my day starts very early in the morning. I, I get up around 4, 4.30 in the morning every day. I, I get my workout in early on. Fitness is a big part of my life. I feel like it sets me up, um, you know, gives me energy for the day. I get up, I work out. Um, and I'm answering emails that came through on the West Coast. Like, you know, when I go to sleep at 10 o'clock at night, it's only 7 p.m. So I'm checking a lot of emails from the West Coast in the morning and then head into the office. And usually it's back-to-back client and team calls. And we have... Um, we work in pods, you call them. So we've got like different teams in the agency and we do check-ins in a couple of times a week. So back-to-back calls. Um, now that things are opening up a little bit, doing some meetings in person. So just a, a lot of calls, a lot of strategy meetings, uh, uh, pitching. I do some podcast work and we have our own podcast. So I spend some time doing that. But uh, my day wraps in the office around 6, 7 p.m. I go home and I, and I try to unplug for two hours and be with my kids. I've got, we have four chill, children, so cook dinner. And then I get back on to see what I missed uh, on the West Coast for a couple hours as they're wrapping up their day. Go to bed and start over the next day. So and a, and a lot of travel um, now that it's uh, October 2021. We've got a lot of um, coming up. We've got a lot of conferences. So I'll be back on the road a lot too, which I'm, I'm grateful about. And I'm so fascinated to kind of dive in there because it is so hard what you're doing, right? Like scaling a business in an industry that is kind of untapped in certain areas and then working with clients that have such unique needs, right? Not everyone has the same needs across the board. So all your clients need special opportunities and special needs. And that's got to be so challenging kind of to, to build an infrastructure of resources around you and your and your team in order to support your clients with all of their ongoing needs. So take us through that approach. When you were scaling your business, were there certain kind of tactics and, and areas that you were like, we should look to bring this on? Or how did you work through that thought process? Yeah. So um, just to give you a little more of the history. So in 2017, like I started in 2014, I was, I was on my own until 2018. So in 2018, I think I had nine or 10 clients all by myself and the opportunity was there. Like I saw it and it was a very scary time because I knew what I knew how to do, but I didn't know how to build a business. And then you had told me that we'd have 46 employees and 60 clients today. I would have said, you're crazy. And I remember my husband saying to me, like, it was, I think it was um, around August, September of 2018. I was, it was actually the summer of 20, uh, uh, 2018. I was like frazzled. Like I could not let the quality of the work go down. My entire business has been built on reputation. And I remember like sitting at dinner with my husband one night, like crying, being like, I, I have no time. I could barely breathe. I was dropping the kids off at school. And he was said, Rosie, you got to scale this business. You need to hire people. And I said to him, I do not know what I'm doing. I don't know how to build a business. I just know how to like pitch stories. Um, and he said, well, imagine one day you get up in the morning, you take the girls to school, you go to the gym, and then you go into your office with your cup of coffee and you have 15 people working for you. And I said, Dan, that will never happen. And at, at just at that time, I did take on an intern to help me. And the intern happened to be the daughter of one of the CEOs of one of the non-cannabis companies I've been working with, longtime entrepreneur. And he said, he may, we called me up in September, 2018. He said, Rosie, let's have coffee. He said, Rebecca, who's his daughter, Rebecca told me what you're doing on the side here. And it's very interesting. Like, what are you doing with this company? Like you've got something here, you know, you could have a PR agency. And I said to Mitch, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to run an agency. I don't know hire a person. I don't know manage anybody. He's like, but I do. So he joined me in October, 2018. So we're coming on uh, three years together. And he said, and he helped me build infrastructure. So we hired our first like real employee in November of 2018. I went to MJ BizCon in November. Uh, and so I went 
out there with nine clients, came back with 14 clients. The buzz was building around the agency and we or hired employee number one. And then slowly, methodically over the past three years, we've added to the team and added to the roster. And this was very scary for me. I've never managed anybody. I'm a bit of a control freak. I like things my way. I know how I've done things. I've done it so long this way. And like, how am I going to unleash control? And it's been the best thing I ever did because now I have the freedom to do what I love to do, which is meet with the entrepreneurs, think of strategy, bring in new business. I love like the sale. I love talking to people, learning about their businesses. And I have an amazing team that's doing the work. Not that I don't do work because there's some, I still love a pitch. Like last week, I like, I had an idea for a pitch and I pitched to myself and I was like, girl, still got it going on, you know, but um, <laughs> I built it and it felt so good. Like it never gets old getting the hit. And when like Bon Appetit was like, we want to write this story. I'm like, boom, you know, um, but also in the meantime, so we started with a lot of these companies early on, like headset we've been with since day one, Candace have been with day one. And as these companies have grown and have needed more marketing needs, so it's time for them to hire a social media agency. It might be time for a company to add investor relations because they're going public, or maybe they need to build out their blog. And they would come to us and say, Rosie, do you know anybody who can do this for us? And I was like, we can do this. And we built all, so and our clients trusted us because we've been such long-term good partners, them on the PR side, they trusted us to build these other functional expertise for them. So we started with one woman show with one service. And now we're 46 people, 60 clients. And we do eight different services. Um, for example, our investor relations team, um, we hired the fellow who started the um, IR division at Aurora Cannabis in, in Canada. He built up that team from, you know, he was also like to like 10 people on the team. I think they had four analysts. They ended up with 20 analysts when he came to join us. And he's built out our IR division. And now we have like, I think 10 or 12 investors relations clients. So um, we built a lot of infrastructure in the agency. And then we also we've created more services for our clients. So that's sort of like how we've set it up. And we're, and we're, we're scaling along with our clients as they grow, we're growing with them. And it's been amazing to have these long-term partnerships where they trust us. And we feel really proud to be supporting the industry in the way that we are. Yeah, I love it. And the ecosystem that you're currently building, it's incredible to watch as a marketer by by trade to, to, to see the opportunities and the growth that your company's experience is just amazing to watch. So I want to talk to you about some of those companies. Cureleaf, Terrace, and Gage, your company works with a bunch of the leaders in the space. So who is one of the companies that is kind of under the radar that many of our listeners might not be aware of that you're kind of like, these guys are going to do really big things? Oh gosh. I mean, there's, there's so many, you're doing so many things, but I think Gage is like a great example, right? So like we've been working with Gage for a year now. Um, and like we were watching what was happening over there, like an incredible brand in Michigan, like such a strong leadership team. Like when they open a store, there's lines around the corner and like they were a single state operator and there was like a little bit of buzz around them. Um, and you know, we are longtime partners with Terrace and, you know, Jason Wilde, uh, made a big investment in Gage early on. And we were like watching what's happening. We're like, something's going to happen. You're like, these guys are on a rocket ship. And then, you know, we found out, you know, right before, because we did the work around it, that Terrorsen was acquiring them. So like, we love watching those things come to fruition. Um, we're also working with like a new technology solution called Dispense, female-led, um, and they're uh, powering some like great e-commerce in the industry. Um, very new, just the, uh, announcing like their seed round, but she's like powering some of the largest MSO. So watching, and, and this, that's a lesson actually people listening. Like there's a lot of technology solutions in the space that have been around a long time, but like Kyla, the founder has this incredible technology and some of the bigger operators are taking a bet on her because it's so good. So the lesson is a lot of people kind of be like, it's too late to join the industry. No, it's like still such early days. There's still so much opportunity. So I love watching, you know, a female founder come in and 
and take on some like big accounts. Like she works with like um, Ascend, another one of our clients, AWH. And I love when I went to the AWH website yesterday to see what products they had. It's like powered by Dispense. I was like, that's so cool to watch somebody so new in the space gaining traction among one of the biggest players. So there, there's a lot happening in, in the industry right now. Yeah, it's an incredible across the board. Everyone's kind of grown, but there's all these other needs and dynamic opportunities. So are you sometimes sitting with a client? And this is maybe my misunderstanding of how the, the kind of space works. But if you're sometimes sitting with a client, and you're like, you know what? I got to make an introduction to, to these guys because they'd be great partners. Is that kind of sometimes the role that you play where you're kind of playing like matchmaker there? Yeah, it is. And I say like, that's part of the value of working with us. Like we do have an ecosystem, right? right. So um, it, it's like, for example, we work with Springbring, customer loyalty platform. We've been there for five years now, I think. You know, it's not part of our job. We don't get paid to do this, but like we know their technology is awesome. So we've made a lot of intros to our dispensary clients and brand clients. Like you got to try this out. And a lot of them and use them. And then nothing makes us happier than seeing our clients partner, right? Or even like just some of the fun things that have happened is that we were representing a SPAC and then we were representing an MSO. And next thing, or single state operator. And next thing you know, like they're like, we'd like to introduce you to our PR firm. And it was the same PR firm. So we did like the glass house um, and brand uh, SPAC. And I was like, and it happened like three times already. We're like, we like because like now their time it's time to announce like well do you know our PR firm we should get them together and it's been us so like we freaking love that it's just like so much fun or also like I posted this morning on Twitter like there was a Forbes story that ran about Florida and um, we had like three different clients four different clients like quoted in it so some people like a lot of the questions we asked like you know when we're like pitching clients like well how do you deal with conflict right you work with so many companies like how do you choose a favorite child I'm like I don't have to there's room for everybody and we call them like quote unquote like a hashtag multi-matio, we're able to get a lot of clients because like we become this like go-to agency. The reporters come to us. We're able to give them like somebody who's doing ancillary, somebody who's doing a brand or product. And like, that's an amazing thing. Like, yes, we got everybody in. So I think that's part of the value of working with us as well as we have this ecosystem. And like we had a party at MJ Biz two years ago. And what I loved was that after it's how much business I heard that got done at that party just because he brought people in a room and we try to align ourselves with best in class, good people. Like we have like a no like quote unquote asshole policy here. So we feel really proud when people just like meet up and are able to work together. Yeah. And I think that that kind of trust with the relations with reporters is so, so important, especially in cannabis because so many people have been burned kind of by bad introductions and relationships. And it's so crucial early on to make sure that the partners that you're aligning yourself with are the right type of partners moving forward. Because like you were saying, Rosie, like relationships and reputation are so, so key right now, especially early on in the space. Absolutely. It's all about relationships. And like I said, my entire business hasn't built on referrals, right? Like, um, and that's one thing. And also just because it's such a small industry and we're doing this so long, like I've become such good friends with so many of my clients, like some of my closest friends now are clients. Like who would have thought? I just think it's something special about the industry that some really great humans and like, you know, we're all building this together and you do feel that camaraderie. Like you don't feel like the, I mean, it's getting more competitive, obviously, but you don't feel the competition. Like I felt in other industries. It just feels very different, which is just part of the fun of it. But one of the areas that I definitely want to bring up is some of the incredible pro bono work you're doing about helping the industry move forward. Can you kind of shed some light on that? To let some of our listeners understand that, you know, while cannabis is a ton of positive opportunities, there are still some issues going on that some people just might not realize are still affecting the space. Yeah. So given like our growth and, and the position that we're in, you know, it's not lost on us. So there are still people that are incarcerated for the war on drugs. Um, it's, you know, 
how these um, affected communities like have been, you know, basically terrorized by the war on drugs is like not lost on us. And we feel like it's our responsibility to give back and help in any way we can. So, you know, we've done some things like, um, you know, fundraising activities, but then we realized uh, and you know, we donated a bunch, which is great money, super important. But we realized that there's a lot we can do with our skill set to help some entrepreneurs that are trying to get a leg, leg up in this space. Like our services do not come cheap. We launched almost a year ago, a pro bono program. Um, to help, you know, diversity candidates with their marketing. So um, there's an application process. Um, you go on our website, you can find it. And we take on um, three companies per quarter and we help them figure out their social media plans, their public relation plans. We, do, we work on it, you know, um, in earnest to get them started. So they understand like how to set up a marketing program and we do it completely, you know, free. And it's been great because and then we see, you know, a, a press placement for a company and it goes a long way in media. So we feel really uh, grateful that we've been able to do that. And we're going to continue to do that. We're going to continue to find other ways to, you know, invest and help given our skill set. And our time is very valuable. So um, it's it's been great to see that happen. And the team is super pumped and super jazzed about it. And also something we've done is, you know, we are communicators. And then I, so I, I have my podcast. We also launched a second podcast in the agency called High Priority, which aims to elevate um, the voices of those affected by the war on drugs and raise um, some of the issues that are about around diversity and inclusion in the industry and shed light on those um, to keep that conversation going. So that's a core tenant for the agency and it will be forevermore. I'm glad you brought that up because I really wanted to bring that up and highlight the, the importance of that because Kellen, like what we've talked about, it, it, it's one of those where sometimes it gets kind of lost in the shuffle that people still are incarcerated in this space and that there isn't fair opportunity for all when they're trying to kind of position themselves in. So Kellen, what can others do besides to kind of help support Rosie and contribute to the positive movement of the space? I think what Rosie said, money always helps, right? So like donating to some of these nonprofit organizations. But I think the biggest thing that needs to happen is people just need more action, right? Like if you're in a legal state, reach out to your legislators and reach out to people that actually can make a change from a legal standpoint, right? Because at the end of the day, boots on the ground is really what's needed. More people actively participating in change associated with getting people out of out of prison for something that you're consuming legally, right? In, in Colorado, it, it's completely legal. Anyone, if you're over 21, you can go, go buy cannabis and there's still people in prison for selling cannabis, right? And there's people making tons of money for doing it right now. And so actively participating, getting involved in these nonprofit organizations that are trying to right this wrong, if you will. And I mean, and if you're a lawyer or something like that, donating your time from pro bono perspective, or if you're actively participating in the industry, doing the things that Rosie's doing as far as helping the social equity portion of, of the industry move forward, I think is, is one of the most important things you could do and uh, getting the word out, right? Like continuing to talk about it, I think is going to be one of the most crucial things because this isn't going to be like, okay, we open the faucet and all of a sudden everyone gets released, right? Like this is going to, this change is going to take time, right? The legal process is slow, very, very slow. So in order to to right this wrong, it's going to be a long journey, if you will. And we just need to keep talking about it and keep bringing it to the forefront of everyone's mind, in my opinion. I think that's so important and kind of continuing on that path. So Rosie, when you're speaking to some of these reporters and trying to help them understand the kind of issues in the space, is this a common conversation you're having with them, like, hey, we need to bring more lights. Then can you kind of shed some light on how how that works? Yeah, I mean, we feel like it's our job as like this conduit between media and um, our clients to, to educate, you know, both. So yeah, I mean, we work very, very hard with our clients to make sure, you know, 
a lot of them are already doing the work themselves to, to create these programs. And obviously uh, we'll work to promote it or we'll come to this idea. Like, you know, we've learned about this organization. They're doing great work. They're looking for a partner. Maybe you guys want to do that. So we're doing that. And then we're also working with the media, make sure that they know what our clients are doing. So the more uh, attention we can get on the good work that's happening, um, the better it is going to be for everybody. And, uh, you know, even just a little bit of like, you know, pressure to make sure that like people know that there's something they need to be investing in um, because it's the right thing to do. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly important. So let's slightly switch gears. As one of the leaders of the industry, what is one idea or concept that others in the industry might not be aware of? Oh my gosh, this is like a hard question. As it relates to what? Anything cannabis related. Yeah, I think that at least for like from our seat, uh, I think um, there's two things. I think people outside the industry like don't necessarily realize that uh, there is still some stigma to break down, right? So I think there's that. And that's what like our job, making sure that, you know, we're stopping the stoner jokes and, and all that type of thing. I think within the industry, I also think that we have to educate our clients, at least from our seat, that you know, the mainstream media, it's like still like not there yet. So like while we might have like incredible products, like it's still going to be a long haul to get media to write about like cannabis flower and have them understand that like, while it is a CPG, like there's other type of marketing mix that we're going to need to do to raise the visibility for like what is like the biggest part of the industry, you know, which is still flower. So those are some of the things I think people don't realize, at least, you know, from our scene and what we do. Love it. All right. We're going to go to a quick rapid fire. Oof. Okay. I'm going to try to take out my... Which meal would you prefer infused? Pizza or spaghetti bolognese? Oh, you looked at my bio. You know my two favorite foods. Oh my gosh. You know what? I've been <laughs> dying to try that stony pizza. So I'm going to go with that. Yeah, that one. That one looks good. Every time you post- Those are my last meal on earth is bolognese or pizza. So I, well, I needed to know which one you were going to choose if you were going to choose one. Kellen? Pizza forever. I love yeah. pizza. Pizza ride or die. Ride All right. Die. Using cannabis when working out can be beneficial, true or false? True. Totally true. I'm I'm a big proponent of it for uh, before, during, and after. Different products for different times or one yeah, product? Yeah. So um, I use, um, sometimes I'll have like a little bit of a, of a sativa before I work out. It gives me, gets me in the zone. Um, I use the topicals uh, for, uh, for any, for muscle pain. I love that because like I'm, I'm a big athlete. Um, and then to sleep. I use cannabis to sleep because uh, my body gets beat up by my workout. So yeah, I, I use it a bunch. And it's been also like recently I, I trained for bodybuilding competition and I couldn't drink because like I, my calories were so low, but I wanted to hang and chill. But this is like not a rapid fire answer. I'm a big talker, as you can tell. Um, but I, <laughs> I, I wanted to still go out with my girlfriends and have drinks. But like I couldn't afford the calories when they were so low when I was training for this competition. So I would drink the cannabis beverages like select squeeze. I'd keep that in my purse or a can. Um, so yeah, I, I switched uh, alcohol for cannabis and it really helped me hit my fitness goals. Yeah, I appreciate you posting those. It helps motivate me when I got to get my lazy ass off the couch to kind of work out. I see you're posting like, you know what? I, I can do it today. I, I can get myself to do it. Time. Everyone, if I have time, I, I'm like a no excuse type of gal. If I have time, anybody has time. Yeah, I appreciate that. So Kellen, fitness, cannabis. True or false? True. I mean, your eyes get red when you smoke, which means it's a vasodilator, which means you're increasing blood flow. So I think that it could be a performance enhancing drug, maybe. You know as what we, I mean? As we've seen from the Olympics already, <laughs> yeah. it's a performance enhancing drug. <laughs> All right. 10 years from now, cannabis beverage will be larger from a category standpoint than flour. True or false? I think false, but I think it'll grow. Kellen? Same. I think it's false. I think flour is what cannabis really is. And it'll always be that way, in my opinion. You just can't replicate. I mean, maybe they can. 
there's some smart scientists out there, but right now I just think the quick onset of consuming flour is going to be really, really challenging to, to overcome from any, any other product category, in my opinion. I'm going to take the beverage side. I am so bullish on that category. I, I, I think <laughs> love them. I love beverages. And also truth of the matter is like, we're seeing like, you know, the, that's where the consolation investment is, right? So like, I think some of these, you know, welcome it. And we're seeing cannabis outpace alcohol and, and wine in some states like Illinois. So it's definitely growing. I just think flower is still king. Yeah, no hangover so. opportunities. Like, like I'm with you. If I, I think like, it's going to be huge. Like, I'm curious though, like when they talk about like adoption of new product categories for the people who don't smoke flour, some more yeah. of the people who are hesitant with the smoking, sure. the drinks are going to be so enticing for them because from a social standpoint, I think that people still have the stigma of like smoking and cannabis in college, but once they try one of these seltzers, I think their eyes are going to just completely light up because they've had the bad experience with the edible or they had an off-putting one. And now they try this beverage and they're like, so I can feel amazing. I don't have a hangover and it tastes great. Hmm. I'm all for it. But I tried Levia last night. Um, How was that? Fine Air just acquired Levia. It was delicious. And it was five milligrams, like the perfect amount. It gives you that little buzz. Um, and so I mean, I'm a huge beverage fan. Like that is my favorite category. Um, but we'll see. How many of those do, do people drink, right? Like I'm so curious because like from an alcohol standpoint, a lot of people are consuming so many of those as like a social standpoint. But from a cannabis one, like is that going to be one where you can consume multiple or is that depending on the tolerance? It depends on the tolerance and the product, right? Like the cans are two and a half milligrams. So like five to 10 milligrams is my sweet spot. So I, have to, and they have a high boy, which is five. So I would need to drink two high boys, right? Same thing with a Levia. Like I think a five is great. Um, so it just depends on your tolerance. It depends on your tolerance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to kind of get those here in New York where I can yeah. replace my, my alcohol there really nicely. So kind of switching gears, no more rapid fire. Since you've been in the cannabinoid industry, what has been the biggest misconception? Uh, the biggest misconception is that we're all like, you know, stoners. And it's like, and people don't realize that this is like, People are still not hip to that. This is like a real industry that like, we've got like a booming agency. It, it, the people just like, it's still like a mystery of what we do. I'm like, just like when we used to rep food and perfume, there's like no difference. So that, and also the misconception is that like I mentioned earlier that it's like too late. It is still such an early inning. I know you're seeing the buzz now, but like, we don't even have banking. We don't have like, there's still some states that don't have it. There's still some things that are just medical. Like it's just so early. So those people that have that FOMO, like get in, jump in. Right. It's one of the fastest growing markets from an East Coast standpoint. The states are just coming online, which means these companies have just kind of lay their, their groundwork for explosion. So before we do predictions, we ask all of our guests, if you can sum up your experience in the cannabinoid space into one main takeaway or lesson learned to pass on to the next generation, what would it be? Such a good question. I mean, and, and this I would say about, I guess this is on most industries and just about like how my philosophy on business, it's just really like investing in the relationships and especially in cannabis. Like it's still like so young that, you know, we really need to like build an incredible network of trustworthy people that are all, you know, marching to the beat the same drum. So investing in the relationships are really getting to know people and understand like, you know, how they tick, I think is just like a great business lesson and something that I've just seen play out in cannabis. So anybody coming into industry, it's like invest in relationships. Like obviously it's like a big opportunity, but like, don't be so opportunistic. You're not taking time to meet, learn. Cause I've, you know, learned when you listen um, when you listen you, you, and learn from others, like that's the way the world works. So that's really well said. All right. Prediction time. We've seen incredible growth in the cannabis industry. What area 
anywhere on the board is still untapped in your opinion? I still think actually it's beverage, right? Like it's still such a, it's like less than 1%. Like I'm with you there. It's going to be like, it's going to be a monster. I also think um, incorporating, you know, cannabis like into exercise. I think we're going to see like a lot of that. We're seeing some more books come out. So I do think we're going to see more of that in the future. Going? That's a good one. I was going to say beverage, but I'll, I'll think of something else. Um, as far as product categories, I think edibles, there's just right now, it's like you can get gummies, you can get chocolate. You can get maybe some hard candies. So I think that you'll start to see more edible products, like maybe like granola bars or something that's more like health conscious. Cause like right now you go to a dispensary and 99% of the edibles on the shelf are really, really high in sugar. Right. And so I think that potentially there's going to be an opportunity for a brand to launch a product that is more health conscious instead of like these gummies and these really, really sweet chocolates and hard candies. Right. I think that that's probably the most underrepresented product, at least from an edibles perspective, in my opinion. And I also think something that we're going to see, and it's not necessarily a form factor, it's just seeing more experiences. I think we'll start seeing more of that with some of these more cosmopolitan cities coming up like New York, which is allowed consumption lounges. So I think we're going to start seeing more on-premise stuff going on. Uh, that's yeah. predictive because like, you know, people want to do cannabis, you know, when they're doing things, right? So I think we'll start seeing more of that. Yeah, that was I think that'll help with their culture. Yeah. yeah, go ahead, Brian. And I think it's going to help from an educational standpoint. I think the experience yeah. of that will be so amazing because people will learn that cannabis can be used in many different forms. Just like Rosie was saying, like she can use it as like a pre-workout, she can use it as a post, and she can use it as a recovery to help sleep. Like I think that starts with educating people and, and putting them through experiences like the tourism and, and those consumption lounges is exactly, I think, what'll help kind of push the industry forward from, from that angle. So yeah, Rosie, I think it, sorry. Well, I, I also think though it helps because if you like compare cannabis to alcohol and you're like, oh yeah, I'm just going to go home and drink a six pack. Like people look at you strange. If you're like, oh, you're just going to start drinking by yourself. Like versus, oh, I'm just going to go home and people consume cannabis by themselves. But with con consumer lounges, I think it'll really, really help with that cultural stigma because you'll be like, oh, look, everyone else is consuming as well. So like it's more of a, a kind of mainstream thought process yeah, from a psychological perspective. Being like stoner on the couch, like I love to go to a concert and have and have cannabis, right? So I Same. love how like it's so much more fun going to a comedy show and laughing, going to movie and laughing, like great social. Exactly. Yeah. Love it. So for Rosie, for our listeners that want to get in touch, they want to learn more, you know, where can where can they hear more with you? Well, I'm very active on social media. You can follow me on Instagram or LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm out there. Um, but also um, our, our website, there's lots of ways to contact us. Uh, but definitely feel free to hit me up on, on social because I'm pretty active and I try to respond to every DM. Awesome. Yeah. So we'll we'll go ahead and, and link those up in the show notes. Thank you so much for your time. Looking forward to seeing you in MJ Biz. Yeah, I can't wait. You got to come to the Matteo party. We'll send you the invites going out today. Thanks, um, awesome. Thanks so much for having <laughs> me today, guys. Thanks. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey there, my name is Leah Babrudi, and I'm the founder and host of Canachicks Podcast, where I discuss cannabis, psychedelics, and other natural medicines. 
I not only interview people who use them as treatment for different conditions, but also the entrepreneurs who share their knowledge on how they built their businesses. If this sounds interesting to you, give my show a listen. I'm sure you'll learn something that'll surprise you.